now. Octeno Koto Kato. Greetings, everyone. Hi, Mai, and welcome to the Climate Change Virtual Field Trip. I'm Andrew, the Learns Field Trip teacher. It's just gone 9.15 on Tuesday, the 17th of March. And it looks to me like it might be St. Patrick's Day, uh, James. Yeah. This is James Renwick. He's the <laughs> professor of physical geography and head of the School of Geography, Environment and Earth Sciences. Quite a mouthful. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so today's web conference is all about climate science. And right now you're at Victoria University uh, in the School of Geography, Environment and Earth Sciences. Uh, very windy outside Wellington at the moment. Um, but uh, so quite nice to be tucked away in this part of the building. And um, great to have you guys join us as listening schools. There's no official speaking school this morning, so basically it's over to you guys. So any questions you've got about climate science, climate change, the science of it, um, you're able to type those questions in the chat pod. So if you have a look down the bottom of your screen, uh, you will see there is a chat button, and if you click on that, a little chat pod comes up, and Barry has already put a question to get us started in there. Um, James, do you want to tell us a bit about the work you do, just to introduce yourself? Yeah, sure. Kia ora koutou, and great to see everybody. So I, I work at Victoria University. I give lectures on weather and climate and climate change. And I do research on the climate. So I look at things like what's going on in Antarctica, um, what's, what's happening with the, I don't know if you've heard of the El Nino in the tropics, that there's sort of lots of things happen in the tropical oceans and the atmosphere and how that works and how that affects New Zealand. And quite a lot these days on how climate change is affecting the whole of the Southern Hemisphere and especially New Zealand and down over the Southern Oceans and Antarctica. So yeah, it's a mixture of teaching, of research, and, and of doing things like this. You know, I love to get out and talk to, to groups, talk to schools, talk to, talk to the public. Great, so that's a bit of uh, background from James. So that'll give you a bit of an idea about the sorts of questions you can ask James this morning. So great opportunity to have James with you here to answer your questions directly. So we're going to get underway and let's begin with uh, the question that Barry's got there in the chat pod. And it says, what year do you think most people got climate change? <laughs> who were the first groups? Who will be the last? When did scientists get it? So yeah, when did, when did we really start realizing that it was a thing? Yeah, that's a great question. I think starting with the last part of that question, when did scientists get it? I think the science of climate change has been pretty well known by most people, most of the scientists who work on it for about 40 years or so. Um, and especially the last 30 years, the science has been very well known. So in, in terms of people like me, uh, I guess a long time, 30 years plus. But in terms of everyone out there in the community uh, or politicians, um, other people who aren't scientists, I think there are still some people who haven't got it yet. Um, but I think, yeah, people who are 
uh, who, who work on the environment in different ways, who might be interested in native trees or uh, other species, native, native plants and animals, people who are out working on the land, farmers who see the weather and the climate and see it changing. I think some of those people have understood for a long time about the changing climate. But I think other people who are more um, maybe concerned with other things, you know, uh, have other kinds of jobs and, and just don't uh, think a lot about the climate and the weather mm. and maybe haven't latched onto it so so quickly. So I think I think in the last few years, in the last five years or so, there's been a lot of change, a lot of increased understanding and a lot of a lot of people marching on the street, really. So I've been to a few marches on Parliament in the last couple of years, and uh, the school strike for climate um, movement and the you know the global school strike movement has really made a difference. I think a lot of people understand about climate change or know that it's happening now at least, but it's taken a long time. It's been years and years and years that the science we've understood, but I think it's taken a, a really long time to get that message through to people. Yeah, it's interesting what you say, James, and it's about, yeah, quite often, like you say, it's perhaps those people that don't, that aren't, aren't relying on climate necessarily yeah, yeah. for their role. They're not in touch with the land or the sea or the forest. Uh, so, yeah, really interesting to think about um, the varying levels of of understanding and, and whether people are actually getting it. So here's a, a question from uh, Zach. Uh, we just need your first names. Um, oh, I see. It's probably oh, probably oh, the teacher actually. Teacher. Yeah. So, is there really uh, irreversible date? Huh. And then, well, there's an, well, let's let's and coronavirus. Yeah. Well, we'll, we'll, <laughs> well, we'll touch on the coronavirus in a minute because yeah. yeah. I actually had a question about that regarding the climate. But um, okay. So, yeah, that, that first question there is a great one. Is there really an irreversible date? And this is something I talk to a lot of people about a lot of, a lot of the time, actually. Uh, in a lot of ways, the answer to that is no. I've heard people say, oh, we've only got 10 years and then everything's out of control and we can't do anything about climate change and it's a runaway, it's just going to get hotter and hotter and hotter. That's not true. That's, that's what you hear a lot online maybe, but actually a lot of things, it's not irreversible. You know, the, the climate's changing because we burn a lot of oil and coal and we put all this gas in the air, carbon dioxide mostly. And while we do that, the climate keeps changing. As soon as we stop doing that, if we all start driving electric cars and we're using solar panels and stuff instead of burning coal, then climate change will stop. There are, some, there are some things that are irreversible. If we let it get too warm, if we let it get about a degree warmer, then we might melt a lot of the ice in Antarctica and Greenland, and we might cause sea levels to rise by several metres, you know, a lot. It would be a really big problem. It would take hundreds of years to happen but that might be irreversible in another 50 or 60 years if we don't slow down the warming. But apart from that, most things, yeah, we'll just slow down and stop when we stop putting out all these, what they call greenhouse gases. So 
So th there's another question here about the coronavirus and is it linked at all to climate change? Hmm. There is potentially a link that I can see because um, what we're seeing at the moment from satellite maps is suddenly the air's cleaning up because yeah. we're yeah. because people countries that are in lockdown and, and the reduced number of traffic on the roads and airplanes in the air we're seeing um, we're seeing air pollution reduce. Yeah, exactly right. So there's gas, as I mentioned before, from burning oil or coal or aviation fuel or anything like that all comes out of the ground originally. Um, because of the coronavirus, there's a lot less planes flying and there's a lot of factories that aren't operating and a lot of businesses that have just closed down or slowed down a lot just in the last couple of weeks. And that's meant that all of these industries are, are burning less fuel, so they're producing less um, yeah, pollution of all sorts. So yeah, even from satellites, you can see the air is clearing up. So everyone in the science, uh, working on the science, expects that we'll see a decrease in the amount of these gases in the air this year. What I hope is that we manage to keep that going. You know, we don't just go back to burning all the oil again when the virus panics over. Um, and we actually keep reducing because we do have to reduce these gases being put into the air. Otherwise, you know, the climate will keep changing. So an, another aspect, I guess, or another way of thinking about this is coronavirus itself came from uh, came from animals in China. That's that's what we understand at the moment, and it's spread all around the world. But as the climate gets warmer, for some some bugs, some diseases, not not this one necessarily, but for some diseases, it becomes easier and easier for them to spread. Some of the diseases that are mostly in the tropics, where it's warm already, as the rest of the world warms up, they might be able to spread out. Things like malaria and dengue fever and so on. So it, a lot of people, a lot of medical professionals, doctors, worry about this, that we might see more of these tropical diseases spreading around the globe if the, if the world warms up too much. So yeah, maybe that's not a big problem with coronavirus, but um, yeah, health and disease is pretty strongly related to climate change actually. Yep. Um, oh, that's I'll, the next question. Yeah. <laughs> oh, well, so I was just going to say there's there's a little bit of information on the background pages relating to um, the idea that uh, that you know some tropical exactly what uh, James said some tropical diseases things like malaria that are, that are known in warmer climates could could make their way and be more prevalent mm. in in countries like ours and I guess. I lived up in the far north, which is already reasonably tropical. So um, we might be the first. In fact, it's really interesting. There's um, because you know we're we're anglers. We like to fish up in the far north. Sure. We do over most of sure. the country, but we're noticing, especially some of the game fishing fishers are noticing game fish getting closer and closer, mm. yeah. coming further in. Um, to to Northland than they have been in the past. It's quite interesting. So, um, what chance do you think there is of change when people always seem to want new cars, new houses, overseas travel, new clothes, new tech stuff? Yeah, yeah we're a real consumer society. We just we want want want. 
all for ourselves. We do, we do, don't we? Uh, and that's and we've seen lots and lots more of that kind of thing um, in the last, I guess, twenty years, thirty years. The world's really changed. We consume a lot more. Mm. We buy more cars more often, and phones and clothes and stuff. So I think that's that's something that's really come along quite recently. And I think we can learn to do things differently. It's really interesting right now with the coronavirus, a lot of things are having to shut down. Um, maybe not so much in New Zealand yet, but restaurants and shops and schools and universities even have closed their doors in a lot of countries and people are having to just be at home and not, you know, not fly overseas and maybe put off buying that new set of clothes or the new car or whatever it is. And I think, it would be great if we could learn from this and learn that we don't have to be consuming stuff so much all the time. But but it's a great question. You know, I'm not. I, I I've got a I've got a fairly new phone, and I you know I bought that a few months ago, and I'm I'm no different to anybody else. Yeah, but, but we, I, do, but we I, do need to learn to to slow down on this stuff. That's for sure. But I noticed, James, you patched your shirt. You didn't go out and buy a new one. That's right. Yeah, check this out. Yeah, yeah the, you patched the elbow up. of my shirt, it ripped and my wife sewed a little patch on it. And this, I'm wearing this waistcoat and it's made out of secondhand fabric. So I like, I like shopping for clothes at secondhand stores. I think it's really cool what you find sometimes. So doing things like that, reusing clothes. And even thinking... Fixing things and, and, when yeah, they break. Fixing things and even thinking about... Um, the material of your clothes. See, this this is uh, plastic, basically. It's, yeah, it's, that's a, right. it's a synthetic fiber. So if it ends up in the landfill, it won't break down. Yeah. Whereas if it was wool or merino wool or cotton, uh, you know that fabric is biodegradable. So um, if it went into a landfill, it would eventually just break down. Yeah. yeah. Um, so a few few more questions that have just come in now, James. Um, yeah. You know, Casey here's uh, wondering about sea creatures going extinct. I mean, I guess yep. that would have an effect like upsetting the balance of an ecosystem. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and there are there are lots of different creatures in the sea, and they all, you know, some eat others, and and vice versa, sort of thing. So if some of these sea creatures, some kinds of plankton or fish or you know shellfish all sorts of things if if some did get into trouble or go extinct that would affect yeah all of the, all the other life in the sea and it, it is a real worry it's hard for us to to look at what's going on in the sea because you know if you look up into the air it's clear you can you can see what's happening you can measure the winds and all that but looking down into the ocean is much harder so we don't know so much about what what lives in the sea and what's happening for it but one thing that we do know that's really worrying is not only is the climate changing but because of this carbon dioxide we put in the air some of that gets absorbed it dissolves into seawater and that turns into acid when it does that mm. so the seawater is becoming more more acidic as time goes on and that makes it harder and harder especially for sea creatures that grow little shells uh, like you know like mussels and, and oysters and things they're quite big but there are tiny little planktons that uh, you need a microscope to see that grow little shells and they they're what you know some whales feed on plankton you know bigger creatures feed on the smaller ones so if, if you 
trouble the plankton and make it hard for them to grow their shells. They're not going to be able to live properly. And that could really affect all the other life in the ocean. So it's, it's a real concern, yeah. Yeah, it's a huge balancing act. Yeah. Um, so here's a, another question. Uh, can melting ice caps affect our coastlines? Well, if the sea level rising, it's going to affect our coastlines. Yeah, absolutely right, yeah. So as the sea level rises, and it's, it's only, seas have only risen about 20 centimetres in the last 100 years. So, you know, that's, that's not so much. But if we melted big bits of ice from Antarctica and Greenland, you know, we could see 10 times or 20 times that much, two, four, five metres. And that would definitely affect the coastlines because, um, you know, as the sea level rises, the, the high tide line, uh, the waves come inland. So the countries get smaller. New Zealand would get a little bit smaller. Mm. Um, some other countries, um, like some of the Pacific Island countries that are very low, the islands are, are only just above sea level now. So some some islands could completely disappear, and some other countries in the world have very low-lying land, like Florida and the USA, is very low. It's sort of swampy, and it's only just above sea level, and you could see quite a lot of Florida disappear, as well as Bangladesh. There's all sorts of countries around the world that are. They have land that's very close to sea level, and that would be a, a big problem. And we know from the past, in the last ice age, so much ice froze on land that sea levels went down by about 120 metres. Wow. So New Zealand was one big island. There was no Cook Strait. There was no uh, Fovo Strait between Stewart Island, Rakiura, and the South Island. It was all It was all one big piece of land. You could walk from... Kaitaia to Invercargill without ever getting your feet wet. So right. we know the sea levels have gone up and down hugely in the past, and right now they're going up again. We'll put the inter-islander out of business. <laughs> I guess so. <laughs> so uh, Elena you know, wants to know what can we do to help this problem. We've already talked about um, mm. not mm. buying so much, not mm. driving and flying so much, reusing recycling, yeah, yeah. Um, solar power, you know, all of those sorts of simple everyday things that families can do. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Anything that you can do or your family can do just to use less stuff, to use less energy, to whether that's, you know, heating your home or driving your car or whatever. Uh, so instead of driving the car, maybe you ride a bike or, or walk or take the bus. Uh, and hopefully the bus or the train is powered by electricity that's you know renewably powered it's not powered by burning oil or coal so all of those kinds of things are great just think about yeah reusing if you've if you've got a veggie garden at home if you can grow vegetables or things like that great um and i think the other thing that everyone can do and this is this is what's been really exciting the last couple of years everyone can let the government know that, hey, this is a really big problem and I'm concerned about this for the future. And just make sure that the people who run the countries and run the big businesses know that they need to change because if they don't, we're going to have a lot of trouble down the road. So, you know, and you guys are the ones who are mostly going to have to deal with that. So I think it's great to see the school students out, you know, letting governments know what's happening and why we need to see changes. 
Right, and Lily, um, are there any animals affected by climate change? And I'm sure, I'm sure there is. Yeah, yeah, pretty much every animal is affected by climate change, I'd say. Because the, the changing climate means that everywhere in the world, it's, it's getting warmer. Um, the way the rain falls and when the rain falls is changing. So how plants grow is changing. Um, what the winds are doing is changing. And, and all the animals on the earth, including us, we're all used to how the weather and the climate has been for thousands of years. So we've kind of adapted to that. And now it's different or it's getting more different all the time. So all the animals on earth are affected some way or other, maybe some not so much and others more, but, um, but yeah, we're, everything, really everything's affected by climate change. A polar bear is going to go extinct. Hmm. Well, that's another question about animals. And I think polar bears are probably one of the kinds of animals that are most affected right now because polar bears live in the Arctic, so right up in the north of um, in Siberia and Russia and Greenland, Alaska, places like that, right up near the North Pole. And that's the part of the world that's warming up fastest. Um, New Zealand's warmed up about one degree in the last hundred years. Um, places like Alaska have warmed up nearly three degrees and a lot of the ice that sits on the Arctic Ocean has melted, a lot of ice is melting in Greenland and the polar bears use the ice for, for hunting, you know, they wander around on the sea ice and then dive into the water and snag a seal or, or whatever it is they want to eat and as the ice melts, you know, they find it harder and harder to do that kind of thing. So polar bears are in trouble in a lot of places in the Arctic. I don't know whether they're going to go extinct, but if we don't stop the warming and all the ice melts up there, then I think they could, they could go extinct. So that, that's a real worry. I'd hate to see a world where we don't have any polar bears. So there's a question from Alex about sea level rise. Um, but the question is how much does the sea rise every year? I mean, it's not a given that it does rise, but what what sea level um, changes has, has there been? Right, yeah. And that's, that's a great question. And it, it doesn't sound like much right now. So sea level started rising, um, you know, that we had that time in the last ice age, year, thousands of years ago, when the sea level was much lower. They rise very quickly. And this is still thousands of years ago. They haven't risen much for a long time, several thousand years. So they started rising a couple of hundred years ago and they're presently they're rising about three and a half millimetres a year. So three and a half millimetres, it's, it's not much. So in three years, sea levels around the world rise about one centimetre. Uh, but a hundred years ago, it was only one millimetre per year. So sea levels are rising about three times as fast now as they were 100 years ago. And as more of the ice in Antarctica and places melts, that sea level rise goes up and up and up, and it'll be up to a centimetre a year in the next 30 or 40 years or so. And it'll just keep going from there if we don't slow down the warming. Great, thanks Alex. And uh, Hannah wants to know what the largest contributor to climate change is. In New Zealand. In New Zealand, uh, In New Zealand, yeah. Yeah, well, 
from New Zealand. Um, New Zealand, we have a lot of cows and sheep in New Zealand and all of those animals do a lot of burping and they burp out methane, which is another greenhouse gas. Carbon dioxide is the one we talk about a lot because it stays in the air so long for hundreds and hundreds of years. Methane comes and goes more quickly, but it's much better at soaking up heat, which is what these gases do. So all, all the cows and the sheep burp a lot of methane, and that's, that's nearly half of the total emissions from New Zealand. So our agriculture is one of the biggest contributors to you know, our, our little part of the story of climate change. Mm. And possibly vehicles on the road, especially when you're driving around Wellington, <laughs> yeah. there's a lot of cars on the road. There are, yeah. And that's, that's a great point, Andrew. So New Zealand has one of the highest rates of car ownership anywhere in the world, and we love to drive. Mm. Uh, and the country is pretty spread out, uh, so often you have to drive a long way to get to where you want to go. So the, the way emissions have changed, the growth in emissions in New Zealand has mostly been from driving cars in the last 20 or 30 years. So yep, the cows and the sheep have a problem, but um, everyone driving around a lot, that's also a problem. We're doing a lot more of that these days than we were even 20 years ago. Okay, and Barry's popped in probably what will be our final question this morning. Um, no, there's another one that's just come up, but um, we are due to head out of this room soon, so we won't be able to take too many more questions. So planting trees, is this a good solution to getting the carbon dioxide levels down? And, and, and then Barry's also gone on to talk about harvesting trees from... from um, from the likes of oh, the Amazon rain, or, yeah. or forests in Indonesia, some of those tropical hardwoods. Yes, right. So yeah, planting trees is good. It isn't really a solution because you plant some trees and as those trees grow, they absorb carbon dioxide. They soak up carbon dioxide. Plants use carbon dioxide the way we use food. You know, it's, it's fuel to grow plants. So if you plant trees, that soaks up some carbon dioxide. So if we plant a lot of trees, which is what the government's trying to do right now, that will help. It will reduce the amount of carbon dioxide in the air. But if we don't stop putting this stuff in the air in the first place, eventually you're going to run out of space. You can't plant enough trees to soak up all of the carbon dioxide. So it's a great thing to do for now but we can't just rely on planting trees. We've got to do a whole lot of other things as well. And where the trees are, that's important. So Barry asked about the Amazon rainforest and the tropical forests in Indonesia and places. And a lot of those forests, the woods being, the trees are being cut down to make decking timber and furniture and stuff. Um, and that's, that's really bad because in the tropical places, near the equator, these forests are huge and they're, they're really important for the globe in terms of soaking up this carbon dioxide and, and what they put out and they soak up, they, they eat carbon dioxide and they breathe out oxygen. So they give us oxygen. If you cut down all the trees in the tropics, we wouldn't suffocate, but the oxygen in the air would go down a little bit. And so they're really important for the whole of the global 
climate and the atmosphere and, and we really don't want to be chopping down or burning the forests in, in the Amazon and, uh, and other places in the tropics. Okay, so we've got, let's, let's take our final question. Um, now, it's, <laughs> we try not to dwell too much on these worst case scenarios. Um, but it is good to be aware of these things. But I think it's also really good to be aware of some of these positive messages that James has given you this morning about the fact that it's not irreversible. Right. Um, you know, we can we can see change already with the amount of cars that are off the roads currently in countries that have shut down, uh, shut down uh, and, and reduced air travel and that, that sort of thing. And the different options we've got in terms of buying stuff um, how we travel and that sort of thing. However, Casey wants to know if the ice caps melted completely, how much of Queenstown would be underwater? How much of Queenstown would be underwater? Well, um, if all the ice caps melted, that's all the ice on Antarctica, all the ice on Greenland, and all of the glaciers in the world, if everything melted, um, and, and it could, it could happen, um, sea levels would go up something like 70 metres, seven, oh. seven zero metres. So that would put a lot of the coastal cities in New Zealand completely underwater, like Christchurch and Dunedin and Auckland, um, and well, a lot of Wellington. I think the university here would still be okay, because we're be, on a big hill. Be beachfront. Be, beachfront, well, Victoria University. But Queenstown, Queenstown's about somewhere between three and 400 metres above sea level right now. So Queenstown would be fine. Oh. Uh, just a bit, a lot of, yeah, Dunedin wouldn't be there anymore, but Queenstown would we'll be We'll come okay. and move to your place, Casey. Yeah, yeah. Queenstown's a good place to be. Okay, well, you know, jokes aside, it's just been great having you guys join us and ask some questions. You know, the, the it is a serious topic and, um, you know, the more we can understand about what's happening will give us more mm. of an idea of what we can do um, to be part of the solution. So it's been fantastic you guys joining us this morning. And remember, you, you can join us again tomorrow at 9.15 for our second uh, live web conference. And um, thank you, James. Oh, we're, my pleasure. We're looking forward to talking more with James this morning about the science of climate change. Have a wonderful St. Patrick's Day. Some of yeah. you really get up for that. That's fantastic. <laughs> yeah. Don't drink too much Guinness. <laughs> and uh, what's, what Barry's going to do now is he's going to unmute you all and you can all say a big kakite ano, a goodbye. See you later. Bye. 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 Much louder. Bye. Thanks, guys. Have a wonderful day, and uh, we hope you can join us again tomorrow. Matewa. Bye. 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 Bye.